What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Bozar. He's Matt Bozar. Today is Wednesday, October 5th. This is going to be our only episode for this week. So we're doing it in the middle of the week for a reason. We're still going to be doing a recap of the NFL and college football weekend. And we've got some really good topics and I'm really excited about it. We are sorry we didn't get to you until now, but Monday and Tuesday were just pretty busy for us. And we also don't really like doing an episode before the Monday night game. If it's what we have to do, we'll do it. But we preferably like to do them on either Tuesday. Well, preferably Tuesday above all. But if we have to do it on Monday night, we do. If not both of those nights, then obviously we push it back to today. And that's what we're doing today. And there's only going to be one episode this week. So we're going to make it. A, we're going to make it a good one today. I, I know that. Now, Matt, I have uh, I have I have a confession. Well, actually, not really a confession. It's more of just a, a little little story to to get this podcast going. But let's do it. So last week I was I think it was Thursday. No, it was Friday. It was Friday. Sorry. I was golfing with my buddy, Will, my my roommate from last year. He was at Will was actually on, uh, on one of the episodes last year. We were talking about the Masters. He actually went to the Masters, which is pretty cool for you, those of you who haven't listened to that episode. But I was golfing with my buddy, Will, and it's probably like 55 degrees out and raining. It's like kind of sprinkling rain. We, we agreed to play in the rain as long as it wasn't a torrential downpour, which it wasn't. It was a pretty nice little shower, but it was, uh, yeah, it was doable. And so it was raining and it was like 55 degrees out and I was wearing long sleeves. And believe it or not, I get up to I, I'm, we're like on the fairway some somewhere we were also playing a scramble so we were playing it was basically best ball if you know what that means and golf but we were on the fairway and i was setting up to the ball to hit my eight iron and a bee stung me on the leg i kid you not and like this is oh my god this is not optimal weather for a bee at all like you would i I guarantee you you you've never seen a bee in not only rain but 55 degree weather like that that is just it's just a recipe for no bugs, but of course they always find me, don't they, Matt? That's um, that's that, that's how life goes. But yeah, what do you think of that, Matt? I think there's a very simple conclusion that we can draw from a story like this, and it is that if Hayden was able to see the bee prior to getting stung by it, he would have morphed into Tyreek Hill and ran down the field like he was scoring a 99-yard touchdown. Yeah, I would I would have ran a four two forty. Yes. So yeah. because any any type of flying insect is Hayden's absolute worst nightmare and he gets out of there as quickly as possible. So I understand his excuse that the weather is not optimal for for a bee. Uh, but at the same time, Hayden, you got to have your head on a swivel. We're going to be talking about football. You played football. We got to be looking out for this type of stuff, man. Yeah, that's right. I mean, hey, I I usually do have my head on a swivel and I usually do spot the bee before it stings me. Actually, the whole before I saw a, a yellow jacket, it was probably the same yellow jacket that stung me, but I saw a yellow jacket flying around my bag. And instead of running away from it, I kind of just waited until it flew away. And I think that's the same one that stung me the next hole. So maybe maybe it was telling me, hey, you better run next time or else I'm going to sting you. Or, or like normal people, you could have just swatted it away the first time and then not, it, it probably would have gone away. Otherwise, you know, here we are sitting here with a, with a bee sting now or a yellow jacket sting. Uh, probably, I guess either one is, is just as bad. Are you, are you, are you in mourning from, from, as a result of that, are you recovering? Okay. Did you, did you need to take an ice bath or get any surgery based on the bee sting that you had? 
No, but I did put some cortisone cream on it. You know, that stuff works wonders when you got these things. It actually did. So it hurt initially, obviously. And then like for the rest of the round, I was, you know, I was, I was working through the pain. I was, you know, making birdies, making 60 foot putts. I actually did make like a 59 footer that day, but, and that, that was, it was actually on the same hole. It was the next putt after that. So I bounced back from my injury and made a 59 foot putt. But, uh, but yeah, it actually started itching like the day after and it still does itch and it happened last Friday. So it's been, it's been five days, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a, this is a prolonged injury that I didn't expect to take this long. You know, it's like, it's like when you get a little, little pulled hammy and it just bothers you for the rest of the season, you know, that's, that's how it feels. So one takeaway we have here is that is that when Hayden does see any flying insect, he morphs into Tyreek Hill. I think the I think the moral of the story after hearing about his 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 heroic ex escapades after having been stung by the bee, the, the real summary and conclusion to the story here is that he morphs into Adrian Peterson after having been stung by the bee. And Adrian Peterson's manly comeback from a you know basically nine-month torn ACL turns into the leading rusher in the league and over 2,000 yards. Hayden does the same exact thing except it's just nailing a 50 yard putt or 50 foot putt after being stung by a bee. I, I think those two are very equivalent at this point. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I would say that those are pretty like you can, you can kind of put those on the same scale and say those things in the same sentence because they are pretty, pretty equitable there. But that being said, we're going to stop talking about my bee sting and we're going to move into the NFL and we're going to talk about the NFC East. So there's only eight teams remaining that have a record of three and one or better. Now, three of those eight teams are in the NFC East, believe it or not, which is great. Like the NFC East has been one of the worst divisions in football, if not arguably the worst division in football for many years now. And so Matt said in one of our last episodes that technically like by record, they are one of the best divisions in football. And I think now they are the best division in football. I mean, there, there isn't another division that has three teams that are three and one or better in terms of record. So just in terms of record, you can, I mean, you can say what you want about the talent on the teams and how they play and their schemes and everything like that and their coaching. But in terms of record, they are technically the best division in football. They also only have the, they have the only undefeated team left in the Philadelphia Eagles, which is crazy because usually by now you see like, a minimum of like three or four teams that are still undefeated at four and oh, but the, the Eagles are the only four and O team left. And so I think it's time to stop questioning whether this is just a coincidence and finally start giving the teams in the NFC East, the recognition that they deserve. I'm going to ask this question to Matt, what's brought them so much success this year? Why are they just, why do they look so good on paper and maybe talk about schedule kind of, you know, how, how they've played, because there are like some surprises. And if you actually watch these teams on the field, there are some, some, some surprises this year. What do you think has brought them the success that they've had this year? I, it's, it's a lot to do with the schedule, I think. And I think that's what most people would say, because that's kind of the, I think the overarching point of just seeing these teams, seeing their records and what they've done so far a lot has to be made by the fact that it depends really a lot on what teams that each of these teams has played so far. And, and we, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the Eagles, right. And their success early on. And the fact that, you know, they've basically been in non-competitive games. So, you know, thus far up until through week three. And the point that I made last week was, you know, for the Eagles, 
right, they start 3-0, but 65 of their total 86 points was scored in the second quarter. And so in two of those games against the, the Monday night game against the Vikings, as well as the um, following Sunday against the Commanders, they, they scored 24 points respect or they scored 24 points in the second quarter against the Vikings didn't score a single point in any other quarter against the commanders. They scored 17 points in the, in the second quarter and they scored 24 points in the full half and then didn't score again for the rest of the game. And so my, my, my takeaway there was they look really good and they're getting out to these, you know, such, such a good, you know, a good lead against all the teams that they're playing that they can really put their foot on the, on the break a little bit and, and not have to try super hard in the rest of the game. And so my challenge was, Hey, can the Eagles be in a situation where they have to come back in a game in the second half, their defense, you know, maybe letting up a couple points, they have to put their foot on the gas a little bit more and their offense who seems to struggle a little bit early. Can they come back and, and, and win a game? Well, we saw that happen to a T on Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And again, the Jaguars, for to their credit, have been a little bit better than people have thought this year. I think that I called them one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think that they may be at that level. They may be a little bit better than that. Uh, but we saw that there was a difference in class, right? The Jacksonville Jaguars go up 14 nothing. It was like a first throw, I think, of the game. Jalen Hurts threw a pick, uh, pick six or, or some sort of interception, and it was a you know pretty easy follow up score by the by the Jaguars. And so you know you see this Eagles team get down, and it's like okay, here's what we need to see from the Eagles. It's hey, you're down early in a game that can continue your see your undefeated season. What are you going to do now? And really, what they did was exactly what they needed to do stop the Jaguars from scoring and then score a bunch of points on their own end on offensively and 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 win the game and that's what they did and so that really impressed me to see okay now they have all of the phases of the game complete and I think that we can really say okay this is a this is a quality team do I think they're the best team in the NFL no because they're just they're, I think still we can kind of poke holes in their schedules a little bit everybody's like, oh they played the Vikings and they beat the Vikings who were three and one well well, yeah, but again, the Vikings have been in some close games and they've had some pretty lucky, you know, things happen. There were like a fluky one in, in, in London this past week. So a couple in there and obviously the Packers, which who for some reason decide to be the absolute worst week one team in the history of the world and then just come back and end up winning 13 games every season. Uh, so so a couple of the Vikings wins in there, you know, maybe a little bit sketchy. Uh, and and so we can kind of see like, OK, the other teams they played are the Lions who despite being frisky, just are, are kind of the same old lines to some, to some extent. The commanders are obviously one of the worst teams in the league. And then J- the Jaguars are, are, probably won't finish the year above 500. They probably won't make the playoffs. So they're not a quality caliber team either. So that's kind of the Eagles, I think, in a nutshell, is like they, they their schedule has, has lined up pretty well. They also do have, I think, one of the easiest remaining schedules, too. So even despite all the early success they've had, they're only going to see more of that. Um, I do think they have the easiest schedule in the league overall this year. So they're going to be good, right? They're going to be fine. They're probably going to win the division. They might even be the number one seed in the NFC just based on the scheduling. Uh, but they're doing what they need to do, right? I mean, that's kind of our college football, uh, you know, a little bit of a parallel here is that you're winning the games that are put on your schedule. Like the teams that line up in front of you, you are beating them and you are beating them consistently. And that's all that you can be asked to do uh, thus far. So it's good that the Eagles are, are doing their thing and, and they're 4-0. And I think it's good to see that that happen so far. In terms of, I mean, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on the rest of the teams here. The Giants are definitely, you know, a complete, everything is their schedule. All the wins are their schedule. Um, you know, the, the Titans game, Okay, you know, that, that, that's a good win, I guess. But again, the Titans are, are, I think, two and two now. And 
they're not even the favorites to win their own division. They're in the worst division in football. So like, that's kind of, I mean, that's, that's their only quality win. Otherwise they beat the Panthers who are really bad and they beat the Bears who are really bad, two of the other worst teams in the NFL. Right. And so, and, and you know, other than that, like, they're not that good. They played a Monday night game against the Cowboys and the Cowboys beat them. And it was, you know, it was competitive for a little bit, but again, that's not the Cowboys didn't have their starting quarterback. Michael Parsons, their best defender. He had like the flu or something. So, and the giants kind of come back, came back to reality and looked like the giants again. Then we have the Cowboys just mentioned them. And the Cowboys, I think, are probably the team that I've been the most impressed with in this whole division so far. We knew the Eagles were going to be good, and we knew the Giants could start out pretty well, given the easiness of their schedule starting out. But the Cowboys, despite losing Dak Prescott, who at this point, it's like, or, you know, the whole quarterback controversy and whatever. I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that. Okay. You, we, we'll leave that to ESPN first take and all that stuff, you know, in order to figure out they're not, they're not going to replace Cooper rush with Dak Prescott. They just paid Dak Prescott a, a, a boatload of money and he's a better football player. So they're going to play him when he comes back. It's nice that Cooper rush is having a good start to his kind of campaign. Obviously he had the game last year that he won and he's won so far this year, but the story of the Cowboys team is their defense. Okay. That's, what's going to keep them in games. That's going to win them games. And it has so far. So you really only need Cooper, Cooper rush to do so much. He's not out here lighting it up. Okay. If he was doing Mike white stuff of last year, when Mike white came in for, for the jets and absolutely lit it up for like 450 yards and five touchdowns, okay, that'd be a different story, right? But Cooper Rush is just doing what he's supposed to do. And yes, he's doing it successfully. So he's not absolutely, you know, tearing the team down in the process of, of playing well. He, he's doing okay. And that's really all they need him to do because the defense is going to carry them. So I think the Cowboys have really, despite kind of, you know, losing your star quarterback again, uh, you know, three years after we had the broken leg with Dak, he's playing well. And, and, or sorry, Cooper Rush is playing well in replacement of Dak Prescott, but he's doing what he needs to do. And I think the team overall is is really showing that it's more defensively minded now than a couple of years ago when they put up a bunch of points, but they couldn't stop anybody. It's kind of flipped the script here where, you know, they're, they're really defensively focused, which is how, you know, that that's really how you win in the NFL. And that you, it proves that when you do have a backup quarterback, it may not matter as much because you can kind of make up for that in the back end. Uh, so the Cowboys, I think, are probably my the team that I'm most impressed with and that I can actually say, you know, despite all the memes and everybody being fans of them and everything like that, it, it looks pretty good. If, you know, if Dak is able to come back next week or even the week after, I think the Cowboys might be able to, you know, might be able to secure a playoff spot here. Uh, the Commanders are the last team, and I, there's nothing really to be said here, right? I mean, their only win so far was the Jaguars in week one when – that was still when we considered the Jag the commanders to be better than the Jaguars. I wouldn't even say that at this point. They're probably a little bit more even, but it's just it just keeps going downhill. And and for whatever reason, Carson Wentz is still being given chances in the NFL. Um, he looked horrible last year. He's looking even worse this year. Uh, but I think that it's more so, I think he's getting a lot of the blame, but I think it's more so the offensive line is just not clicking at all. They're not providing any time for him. They're not providing any space for the running backs to do anything. And and the defense is playing horribly. It's just every game. They're just not able to contain what, you know, was able to happen in the two teams. I just mentioned Cowboys and, and, and commanders, they just played on Sunday and the Cowboys, just pretty much eased to a victory there the, the commanders couldn't really put up any points and they also couldn't really stop an offense led by cooper rush who like i just said is playing well but not playing outstandingly so that kind of just sums up the commander's season and i, I really don't think this team is going to end up with with very many wins at all and so this kind of division that's really seeing a turnaround here it's funny because you know what where for a second there 
the commanders look like they might be might have something and they turn into absolutely nothing they're going to be really dragging this division down but the cool thing and this is going to kind of wrap up my point here that the cool thing is that for the last eight or i think maybe 20 20 years 21 years the division winner has been a different team every single year i think for the last 21 years i think 2002 uh the eagles won back to back and that was the last time that any team has won back to back division titles in this nfc east division so so now we see that okay well it's been horrible for the last you know however many years and that's why a, a different team has won every year because you've just kind of had some fluke teams just get some weird wins and they end up winning the division the Redskins made or the, the commanders made the playoffs a couple of years ago at seven and nine right I mean that, that's a horrible record and they still made the playoffs uh and so now we can enter this season where they have the best combined record in the league we have some teams that, that are looking pretty good obviously the Eagles are, are still the undefeated team and the Cowboys looks like their defense has been playing playing really well um let's see you know what can happen in terms of if the, if this trend is going to continue, I think it will because the Cowboys won last year. It looks like the Eagles are you know one of the best teams in the NFL this year. The trend might continue, but at the at the very least, we have some some step up from from the other competition in this division. I do think though, as we go down the go you know for the rest of the season, the Cowboys and the Eagles are going to be you know pretty quality teams, but the the Giants are going to definitely regress a lot, uh, and the Commanders aren't going to get much better. I think the the team I'm probably most surprised at is the Giants, and I I know that Matt kind of pointed it out and said that they beat the bears and the commanders. And then there was one other team, one other bad team that they beat. And that that's fair. I like, I see that, but at the same time, I think the giants defense has, has shown that they're a lot better than people thought they were going to be. They don't, I, I mean, they lost some of their stars. I, I don't know if they lost James Bradbury last year or if he, or if he left kind of like before last year, <laughs> a long time ago, but but I know that, I mean, they still have like Leonard Williams. I think they either tagged him. They, they might have franchise tagged him last year and then maybe they paid him this year. But right, like they still have Leonard, Leonard Williams. Um, and then, you know, obviously Kayvon Thibodeau is, is back. And he, I think he made a pretty good impact in, the, in their game this past weekend. And so I think their defense is, is definitely stronger than it was last year and stronger than people thought it was going to be coming into this season. And then obviously the health of, of Saquon Barkley is a huge factor in that offense. Daniel Jones. I, I think that Daniel, like Daniel Jones, he, people still make fun of him because he's still not really doing much, even with Saquon, you know, in the game, which I, I think that he's, yeah, he's not really doing much, but with the plays that Saquon can make, it's almost making Daniel Jones's mistakes look a little bit like, better in a way like he, he doesn't look like he's just at letting the whole entire team down when he makes a mistake or when he doesn't look super super good um obviously sterling shepherd got hurt and tore his acl on a non-contact injury which that sucks to see but all those receivers in new, in new york like you just can't trust them in, in terms of fantasy you can't trust them at all and so the eye test like they passed the eye test but just in terms of i don't know i, I guess it maybe it is daniel jones that just doesn't really distribute the ball well and doesn't get it in the hands of the right guys at the right times. That's probably, that's probably what it is. But I do like, if, if we do see this passing game from the giants click throughout the season, which I, I honestly really hope it does. Cause I kind of want to see the giants succeed for once. And I want Saquon to stay healthy for a season. I really want to see this team be good, at least decent in the passing game and have an incredible running game with Saquon Barkley. I think that they could actually be, they could actually be a lot better. They could turn out a lot better than, a lot of people are giving them credit for um, so far this season. I think in terms of the Eagles, yeah, I mean, I think Matt gave a, a really good rundown on the Eagles. It's just like they've played really easy teams. They have overall the easiest schedule 
out of anybody in the league. And so their success probably isn't really going to change from here on out. So there's not really much point in, in talking about them. We've also talked about the success of Jalen Hurts and they were, they're also giving Miles Sanders the ball more, which has been a problem in the past. It's like we've seen time and time again that Miles Sanders just isn't given the ball or if he is given the ball, he doesn't really have the chance to, to do anything with it. So everybody thinks that he sucks. But I think this past week he went off for like 150 something yard rushing yards and two touchdowns, which was great to see. So if they start utilizing him more with the success of Jalen Hurts and, and obviously those, you know, dominant receivers there and AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, I think we could definitely see the, the Eagles even take off even more, you know, in, in a better direction than they've been going this, this so far this season. And right they're they have the best record in the league. So um, yeah, so that's, that's going to be exciting to see. And then the Cowboys, like Matt said, they're, they're kind of just a product of their defense at this point. And I, I wouldn't like to say though, that Cooper rush, he, and everybody's saying this, you know, Cooper rush is four and O in all of his starts in Dallas last year. He won, I think he won a game against Minnesota last year. That was the one game that he started. And then so far this year, he's three and O in games against the Bengals, the giants and the commanders. So two divisional teams, giants commanders. Yeah. The worst divisional opponents between those guys and the Eagles that they've beaten so far, but, uh, but they also beat the Bengals. I think week one, no week two, I think. And so, I mean, yeah, that's like, that's a pretty good win there. I mean, the Bengals are, are, a really good team. They made it to the Super Bowl last year. They've been struggling a little bit this season, but but yeah, I mean they they still beat them nonetheless. So I think that Cooper Rush, he he should be given a chance, maybe not in Dallas, but maybe somewhere else. Like if if Dak comes back and he starts the rest of the season, maybe somebody will sign Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback. I doubt it just because again, a backup in the NFL is usually a backup for a reason and he's usually a backup for kind of his whole career and that's just how they get paid and that's how they play and they're fine with that because they're still making multi-millions if you're a backup QB. But I do think that there's that there's some reason to look at Cooper Rush and say, okay, well, hey, you know, if he weren't in Dallas where they just paid Dak a bunch of money to continue to play there, there is an argument for saying, okay, well, let's let's kind of still start Cooper Rush. Let's not rush Dak back into action. Let's see what Cooper Rush can do. And if if he keeps on winning, then just keep him in the game. But that's again, that's kind of a uh, touchy subject with the whole Dak thing because they just paid Dak and that, that wouldn't really be a beneficial um, financial decision on their part if they just kept Cooper Rush in the game and didn't even bring Dak back. But again, I think it's one of those things that you can look at it and say, okay, well, don't rush Dak back. If he's not ready to come back right away, sit him out another week and let Cooper Rush go in there because Cooper Rush hasn't lost the game that he started in Dallas. So I don't know. I, th- I think that's probably my my biggest takeaway from the Cowboys. And again, you can't really, you can't really say it's not really black and white in, in, in Dallas. Like you, you can't really say, okay, we'll start Cooper rush or start Dak. It's kind of one of those things. It's like, Hey, if, if he's not, if Dak's not ready to come back, it's fine because you got Cooper rush there. So I'm not even going to talk about the commanders because yeah, the commanders just, they're so awful. And I've said it before on this podcast. Like I, I just hate watching the commanders because it's just really bad football. Like their offensive line sucks so bad and their defense is also really bad. And I think Chase Young got hurt again just recently. So that's not good at all for their defense either. Cause he was one of the only bright spots on that defense. So yes, with that being said, we're going to uh, move on to our next topic in the NFL, which is about John Harbaugh and his decision to go for the touchdown on fourth and goal 
in the waning minutes of the game against the Bills this past weekend, which Matt was actually at that game. He was he was at the Bills and Ravens game. Matt, how how was that? It was uh, it was pretty uncomfortable. It was a great game to be at. It was a lot of good action to watch. It was, uh, you know, a matchup between two quarterbacks that are of the best in the league and the teams that are really good and, and two of the best teams in the AFC. Uh, probably the best game, like in terms of you know teams that are supposed to be one, you know, two of the best in the NFL. I basically just said that I'm like mixing up my words here. Probably the guest best game of the week, right? In terms of like two skilled-ish teams. Maybe the, the Chiefs and the and the Bucks are, I guess, could be also considered there. But um, but right, it kind of ended up being that way. So and the reason actually is because so last year I went to the uh, Ravens and the Packers game. My wife got that for me for a Christmas present um, and that or birthday present. And we ended up going closer to Christmas, but that was really fun this year. Um, she decided to be a bills fan because she's a very new football fan. And why would you not be wanting to root for the best team? But also her grandparents lived in Buffalo forever. Her mom went to Syracuse, which is close to Buffalo. So a lot of, a lot of also ties to that Western New York thing there too. So she's a Buffalo bills fan. And so we were like, okay, well let's go to the bills and Ravens game because pretty much for where we live and stuff, the Ravens is kind of the closest team. Uh, well, technically the commanders are the closest team, but who would ever want to go see the commanders? And it just so worked out that last year the Ravens played the Packers and this year the Ravens played the Bills. Last year was funny. Um, we actually went to, it was supposed to be a one o'clock game, but it was later in the season when the Packers and the Ravens were both really good. So they actually flexed the game to 425. And I was actually caught in the middle of that because like, literally midweek, we thought the, the game was going to be at 1 p.m. Turned out to be 4, 425. So we ended up getting kind of home later. It was still, it was fun and it was still fine. Plenty of, plenty of time. It was just kind of cool to be caught in the middle of that transition period um, in, the, uh, in the interim where they were flexing a game to a different time slot. This week, it was kind of too early in the season for them to be flexing games already so it was at 1 p.m and the game was at one and that's when we went uh the only problem is we didn't forecast a, a hurricane to be coming through at the same time that we went to the game this year so we bought the tickets all the way back in may i think and ended up going to uh going going to the game we were like you know right, we're gonna go anyway it's a weekend away we you know had, had not a lot of fun to be to be in baltimore and everything so right so we went to the game and and it was it was a good like i said it was a good game it was not raining too much towards the beginning. Like the first half was pretty easy, not too much rain. Uh, it was a little bit cold, but you know, we, we had our, we had our gear on to be able to fend ourselves off in, in that type of weather. But then basically near the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, it, it, it started to rain a lot more. And it was like, I mean, it was, it was, like I said, pretty uncomfortable. Like one of those things where it was definitely fun to be there to watch the game, but it just, it just didn't become fun to even sit there anymore. Like it would have, it was more worth it to just get in the car and, and go back. Cause we also had to drive back, you know, two and a half hours too. So, um, you know, get in the car and drive back. It, it was more worth it to do that than it was to stay there and just for the rain. Now, again, it wasn't an amazing ending to the game, which I'll get into a little bit, but that was kind of the thing there. Um, and, and in terms of just, right. It would have been fun to stay, but at the same time, it was just, it was pretty, pretty miserable <laughs> we're there. And I have horrible luck with NFL games. I've only been a three in my life so far up to this point. The first was actually a Packers versus commanders game, like four years ago, maybe uh, that I went to with one of my college roommates. It was pouring the entire time for that game, like randomly on a Sunday, just the heavens opened up and started raining a ton. Uh, the game, obviously last year with the Packers and the Ravens, it was in the middle of December in Baltimore. And it, despite, I mean, yeah, it was cold, right? So it was like, you know, and it was, at night because they flexed the game so it became like nighttime for when the you know the most of the game was being played and it was cold it was super super cold and it was an overtime game so we're sitting there for like a four-hour game uh which was obviously really nice and the Packers won an overtime which is like that's for me as a fan that was really cool to see 
And then obviously a hurricane uh, for the Bills and Ravens game that I went to this time. So I don't know what I did. I don't know what to do. Should I go to more NFL games or should I just assume that every time I go, there's going to be some unforeseen, uh, you know, turn of events that makes the weather horrible and not enjoyable to be at the game. I don't know. Um, so we'll have to see on that. Anyway, that's the synopsis of the game. It was really cool though. It was really cool. It was despite the weather, um, obviously, the, you know, a little bit of turnovers and everything, but it was so cool to see, you know, Josh Allen, the Bills out there and, and playing. And then obviously Lamar, I didn't get to see Lamar Jackson last year because he was hurt. And so Tyler Hunt, was playing quarterback against the Packers when I went so seeing Lamar in person was probably the coolest part because it's literally just like it's a video game and we were sitting facing the field um, on the on the goalpost side so it's kind of you're watching the offense as it happens as if you're playing Madden and then you see Lamar Jackson playing like as if you're playing Madden and it, it's quite literally like you're able to kind of appreciate how how skilled he is as a, as a football player so um, that was maybe a more more lengthy uh, synopsis of how my game experience went uh, than Hayden wanted to go. But anyway, we're going to talk about the game. And so Hayden asked the question. Okay. So back to the whole idea of John Harbaugh going for it on fourth and goal in the waiting minutes of the game against the bills on Sunday, the decision to go for it ultimately lost him the game. That's kind of the, the, the synopsis of the end of that game. We know that the bills ended up winning 23 to 20 and they won by a field goal because they, I, th- I think it was actually, it was an interception, right? On that fourth and goal that he yeah. had. And it led to that Bill's field goal, right, Matt? Yes. Yeah. So they, I mean, it wasn't a, it was actually, it didn't help them at all that they threw an interception because if they would have just gone for it on fourth and goal and thrown like an incomplete pass or something like that, then they would have had the Bills pinned in pretty much, you know, within their own five. But they ended up throwing a t- uh, uh, an interception in the end zone, which gave the Bills a touchback and gave them much better field position at the 25 but that's not really the point of what we're talking about. John Harbaugh is catching a lot of heat for his decision to go for it and not just take the field goal because, and that's because the bills lost by three, right? Like, I mean, I mean, that's because the bills won by three. If the bills had won by a touchdown, I don't think that a lot of people would have been questioning John, John Harbaugh's decision to go for it on fourth down on the goal line, because you've got some pretty, some pretty good chances to make it there to, uh, to, to convert that. And Matt's going to talk about those. So I think it's time to remind people that once again, the analytics prove that this decision to go on fourth and goal is the correct strategy. It's just people are, are blowing it out of proportion because the Bills won by three and they didn't win by a touchdown. And people are saying, okay, well, the Ravens could have had it tied if they would have just taken their three and made it 23 to 23 at the end of the game. But Matt, let's, uh, let's hear from you. I know you're a really, really big on analytics guy. So let's hear from you and hear the side of, okay, well, the analytics point towards yes, go for this fourth and goal. And John Harbaugh was right after all. So there's a lot of math that I could do on the podcast, but that's not very entertaining. It boils down to this. If you go for the touchdown on fourth and goal, the chances that you win the game, I think, well, I don't have the math in front of me. Okay, fine. You, you, You got me there, people. The math that works out so that if you go for the touchdown on fourth and goal, you win the game 62.5% of the time. If you kick a field goal to in that exact same spot, you win the game 56% of the time. Okay. So there's a seven and a half point difference there or percentage point difference, which Again, it's not huge, but it does matter in a lot of situations. And the reasoning is because you have a better chance to win the game if you convert for a touchdown. And again, we're going from from the two-yard line. So 
it's essentially just you getting your team getting two yards. What are the chances of that? And then on top of that, multiply by the chance that the Buffalo Bills also come down the field, score a touchdown. Then you go into overtime and you're still able to win the game. Okay. Cause that, and so that really has all the effect on it is really the chance the percentage chance that you are able to gain two yards versus the percentage chance that the bills are then able to gain 80 yards. Okay. So in that sense, you should be going for it to win the game because there again, if you kick a field goal, sure. You kick a field goal. Okay, fine. You go up three points in that same instance, the bills are now going to go 80 yards and have a chance to win a touchdown or to win the game on a touchdown. So you're essentially giving the bills basically, uh, well, that whole percentage chance, would you rather be up to seven points or would you rather be up three points? Because in any instance, the bills go down and score a touchdown. We saw that to a T play out because the bills had to knee the ball a bunch of times to even get the game down to three seconds to be able to kick the field goal and win the game. There was, I think, over two and a half minutes left uh, when, when the Ravens were going for that for that fourth down try. And so that's where the math works out is, well, the analytics works out is to where you have to assume in, in all instances, you have to assume that the Buffalo Bills are going to go down and score a touchdown because they've proven that they can be right. They were down 20 to three at halftime and they come back and tie the game 20 to 20. And that's where we're sitting at that moment that the, that the Ravens are going for the, for the fourth and goal, right? For the touchdown. So that's where we're at right now. And we have to assume that the Bills are going to go down and score a touchdown. If the Bills go down and score a touchdown, you lose if you kick a field goal. If the Bills go down and score a touchdown, even if they are there close and they, whatever, they're going to kick a field goal, they'll tie it up and send it to overtime. Based on how the game is going if you're tied up and going to overtime and the bills have outscored you 17 to nothing in the second half so far who do you think has a better chance to win the game when you start overtime it's probably the bills the bills are also the better team overall so the percentage chance that you win the game goes to absolute well not zero but very much less than 50 percent if you go to if you go into overtime okay and so kicking this field goal is playing for overtime because the bills at the very least will probably be able to move the ball 20 yards and their kick is pretty good and sure it's in the rain and whatever you know you have a lot of chance okay fine all right. But what happened? The Bills drove down the field in no time and had to knee the ball a bunch of times to even get the field goal in the unit, field goal unit on the on the you know on the field to be able to kick the field goal and win the game. Obviously, what played out before our very eyes was a very different scenario than anything that I'm talking about. That's because the interception was thrown. Okay. So everybody now, and so that's why that's why I kind of this whole thing ends up being a an argument for analytics, but also for the game type situations and things that you can't expect with analytics. Because I think that's where a lot of people get held up is oh well the analytics, the analytics, yes, they are very good in in, in determining what percentage chance you have to better win you a game, but the percentage chances go out the window when you throw a pick on the goal line of fourth and two, right? Because that's what ended up happening. And so in that instance, the Ravens come away with zero points, right? You could have come up with three points. You could have come up with seven points, but they come away with zero points. And at that point, all the bills need to do is kick a field goal to win. It turns out that they moved the ball down the field again in no time, like I said, and could have very easily scored a touchdown, but they played the analytics game correctly, basically saying, all right, we can score a touchdown here and go up 27 to 20, but you're giving the Ravens time again to score a touchdown and then send it to overtime and you lose again. Right. And so in that instance, you, you don't, you purposefully don't score a touchdown and kick a field goal and that will win you the game for sure. And so what comes away with this is, oh my gosh, the Ravens lost by three. They lost 23 to 20 and, and they were going for a touchdown. Well, if you don't get the touchdown, then the bills, you know, the bills are going to win the game. That's not necessarily true. There's a lot of things that happen in this equation. If the Ravens go for the touchdown and they get it, like I said, they're up 27 to 20 and you expect the Bills to go down and score a touchdown 27-27, right? So in this case, like, because the Bills 
were able to score so quickly, like prove that they were able to score so quickly anyway, regardless of whether or not you get the touchdown or not, the Bills are going to score a touchdown in that situation to tie it up and send it to overtime and they have a good chance to win in overtime. All right. So second of all, here we are with our, you know, our backs against the wall. What are we going to do? We're going to go for the touchdown. We're going to kick a field goal. You kick a field goal. Okay, fine. The Bills end up on the 20 yard line and they go down and they score a touchdown and you lose the game anyway. That's my point here is that if you kick the field goal, okay, you have a three point lead for now, but what ended up happening, which was exactly what happened before our very eyes of the bills went down and they could have like, I mean, they had, I think first and goal on the, on the four or something like that, they would have scored a touchdown. And so in that case, the Ravens would have lost anyway, and they would have lost by four points instead of three. So it's like this whole deal where people are getting on John Harbaugh about, Oh my God, you shouldn't have gone for it. in that situation, you take the three points and you see what you can do on defense. Clearly none of that worked out anyway, because they were tied. So yes, you were starting, you were trying to stop the bills in the first place because you're going up against this analytically driven world where, oh yes, the bills are also going to, you know, want to go down and score a touchdown. That's exactly what they would have been able to do. So that's my argument here is that he was, he played the game correctly in that scenario. The point is though, you can't in any scenario, you can't predict something like an interception to happen, in which case you're basically giving up zero points and letting the bills go down and score. But the point is, the interception doesn't really matter because the Bills end up on the 20-yard line anyway. This time they end up with a, a tied game instead of a three-point deficit or a seven-point deficit. Either way, though, the Bills would have been able to score a touchdown and therefore they probably would have won the game regardless. So this this whole deal about, you know, oh, well, John Harbaugh made the horrible decision to go for it on fourth and goal. No, he didn't. He made the right decision. It's just is that the Bills, they were never going to win that game anyway because the Bills are going to go down and score a touchdown to end the game and tie it at 27 to 20 if they have to score a touchdown or win the game 27 to 23 if the Bill, if the Ravens had gone for the field goal in the first place. You're really essentially just saying we are we are hoping that we are able to even get to this game to overtime if you're thinking if you're looking at this on, in, in hindsight because you would the, the the whole game script would have gone differently if the Ravens kick a field goal there and the Bills are like okay sweet we have first and goal in the five yard line yeah we're going to score a touchdown. Josh Allen's literally going to like lay down and stretches stretches arms out and we're going to score a touchdown. It's not that hard to do. So the whole analytic piece of this really comes into play when you think about the possibilities that would have happened if the Ravens had not gone for it versus what did happen because they did for it and go did go for it and end up throwing an interception. That you 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 can't you can't just single out that moment in time and say, "Well, that sorry that didn't work out." But here, I think kind of the biggest point too was like I'm not all for the analytics because I totally understand that weather is a situation. I was in the stands for this game. I understand that the weather was impacting this game. I left the game early, despite the despite how good of a game it was. I left the game early because of the weather. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that the analytics analytics cannot prevent or cannot predict, such like the weather, such like the interception that Lamar Lamar Jackson throw or threw, right? So there's a lot, there's a lot more behind this to where, you know, you're going to be arguing for what your team should or should not have done. But in this case, John Harbaugh went with the analytics. And if he had just if Lamar Jackson had just not thrown the pick, which by the way, again, you know, and I think Caden was kind of getting at this before. It's like, if you have Lamar Jackson, you have JK Dobbins and you've been running well all game, just, 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 just run the ball. Okay. Run the ball. And you'll probably have a better chance of, of getting that touchdown, but either way, they probably end up losing the game in overtime anyway, right? Because the bills drove down the field and, and scored anyway. So, so that's my whole point here is, you know, we can't be getting on, on, John Harbaugh too much about making a wrong decision when his decision was technically correct. It just didn't end up in the situation that you prefer. Right. And now the bills have the, have the, have the, um, have the ball on the 20 yard line, as Hayden said too, as opposed to the two yard line, who knows if those extra 18 yards wouldn't have been able to get the bills down there and score 
it ends up being that way too, where you're, you know, you're kicking a field goal in the rain from, you know, 47 yards. That's not a very likely scenario. that's going to work out in your favor. It turns out though, they had, you know, because of the interception, they had the ball from the 20, they go down and they have a field goal from like the three yard line. So that's my whole, you know, thing on this, on this Lamar Jackson and, and taking the analytics and everything into account where sometimes you can't, you can't use analytics because the game script and the situation and the weather and what's going on and the time left in the game and everything will be out to your detriment. But at the same time, you have a bigger chance to win the game if you go for a touchdown instead of just going for a field goal because the Bills would have scored a touchdown anyway. So that's my that's my take on that. Hayden, what do you got? I, I think that like the the play call has a lot to do with it as well. I don't exactly know which play they ran, and I would I would be very interested to go back and watch that play again actually and to see kind of like what routes they were running and what their plan was because I mean, ultimately Lamar Jackson ended up kind of like guessing and he, he kind of, he kind of got flustered a little bit on that play. I remember. And, and he ended up throwing it to like the corner of the end zone. And that's where it got picked by, I think it was Micah Hyde that made the, that made the interception. So I think that if, yeah, I mean, if, if Lamar Jackson had just been smarter with the ball and we've kind of seen Lamar Jackson do that before on plays that are really important, like he kind of just either fumbles or, you know, he, he doesn't really protect the ball well, or he makes a decision that afterwards is kind of glaring at you. Like, why did you do that in a clutch moment like this? It, it happened again on Sunday, which again, I mean, that, that's probably like one of Lamar's only flaws that I've kind of seen as a reoccurring thing over the past few years or over the years that he's been in the league, but he's, he's still, a, you know, a, a phenomenal player. And so we can't really put a lot of it on him, but I also think that we can't really put any of it on, on John Harbaugh, like Matt was saying, if they score that touchdown, there nobody's talking about John Harbaugh's decision. Everybody's praising him for dis, for his decision. Also, I think it's 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 I think it's also just like a a very big confidence booster when a coach shows that he believes in his team enough to go for a fourth and goal from the two yard line to ice not ice the game, but to make the game a very a very tough one to win for the Bills after that if they do get that touchdown, I think that it shows a lot of confidence in his offense. And that's something that the offensive guys in the long run are going to like him for. Like they're going to, they're going to respect him for making that call and he's going to respect them for right. You know, going with the call and, and trying to get that fourth down ultimately in the end, it literally just ended up in the worst situation possible because right. Lamar threw an interception when he literally could have just take, he could have just like taken a one or two yard sack and they, the Bills still would have been inside their own five. At that point, they basically have to run to get it outside of their own five-yard line, and they're they're in trouble, right? Like Matt said, 18 yards, we don't really know if that's a huge difference and if, if that's going to make a difference on that Bills drive to win the game, but it could have. You never know. Like, they could have gotten, you know, they could have gotten stuck in their own territory, and they could have had, like, a third and ten from their own four-yard line. You never know. So, even even taking a small sack in that situation is is a lot better than throwing a pick in the end zone when you give the Bills that that extra yardage um, for you know that they take with that touchback. But I would definitely like to see how that game would turn out if the Ravens ended up did or did end up getting that getting that touchdown there. I think that they, like Matt said, we don't really know if they would have won. Like the Bills probably would have scored and sent it to overtime, and in overtime the Bills are probably winning that game, but the you know the Ravens are also are also a really good team this year and that would have been cool to kind of see them battle it out in overtime almost like that Bills Chiefs game in the playoffs last year but with that being said let's move into college football Matt take it away 
Well, I hate to say it, but I think we learned based on these this past week's results uh, who the best team in college football is, and it's not even close. It's Alabama. The only other teams that can really compare to them are Georgia and Ohio State. But if we do some comparing from Georgia's game and Alabama's game from this past weekend, we can see that a repeat of last year's storyline, obviously being Georgia and Alabama playing for the SEC championship and then Georgia and Alabama playing for the national championship. That whole storyline probably won't go anyone's way except for Bama's this year. Yes, it won't. And here's why. Because, and again, this is, this is just one game. This is comparing one game from one week. But I think the contrast here in the same week is too blatant to not, to not cover. So, like Matt said, Georgia, they just snuck past Missouri. And they were in Missouri. And, right, home teams this year have been, have been very good. But that being said, Georgia is still Georgia, and they have crushed their opponents this year, so far this year, by a lot. And their, their defense isn't as good as it was last year, but a lot of people were, were kind of making comparisons and saying, okay, well, they're still holding teams to like, you know, three points and seven points, and they're still doing a lot better than, right, what, what some people might have thought they were going to do coming into the season when looking at their how good their defense was last year. But my thing is that, and Matt, Matt pointed it out. Alabama came back, not, not really came back again, or they were already they were always winning against Arkansas, but Alabama strengthened their lead against Arkansas after Bryce Young got hurt. And I can't remember the dude's name that came in, but he was, I mean, he was electric. He's like a he he looked like Lamar Jackson out there, man, was just running all over uh, all, all over Arkansas. And Arkansas, like they on offense. They just seemed like they didn't have anything going. Alabama was shutting them down on defense. They were forcing three and out after three and out. And it was it was actually a really cool game to watch, even though Alabama kind of blew them out and beat them 49 to 26 or whatever. But it was it was actually a pretty good game to watch because, you know, you've got K.J. Jefferson, who's a, who's an NFL prospect coming into this year's draft. And you've got other guys on Arkansas that are that are that make that team really tough to beat and. Matt, one of Matt's betting locks of the week last week was the uh, the Arkansas. It was like plus eighteen or something like that. So plus eighteen and a half or something like that. And that ended up not you know not hitting because and it looked like it was going to hit earlier on in the game. And then Alabama just pulled away in the in the final like five minutes or something like that. And I think um, Jameer Gibbs he had like two seventy plus yard touchdowns in the last five minutes of the game. I think and that's what that's essentially what made that plus 18 and a half bet lose, which is pretty un- unfortunate for Matt and any of you who, who bet that out there, you know, it's not really uh that's not really something that happens in the last five minutes of games pretty very often, but he's also a beast. And so I think that we saw this Alabama team is not only do they have really good starters, but they also have really good depth. And that's something that's going to win championships. I do think that this year, it's it's pretty much not even close at this point. Like I think that Alabama is gonna win the championship, no matter what. I if they don't win the champion, I would I would go ahead and bet Alabama. Well, it's the lines are probably not. I guess not in Alabama's favor now because we saw this what happened this past weekend. But I would I would say that if you do find like any any kind of line that looks a little bit juicy out there for Alabama winning the championship, I would probably go ahead and bet it right now because. I, I can't see unless Bryce Young is out for like a very long period, period of time, even still like they beat Arkansas handily with with Bryce Young not even playing for most of the game. So I think that we see that once Bryce Young comes back, Alabama is going to be absolutely unbeatable. They I don't think they're going to lose a game. 
this season and that's that i mean they almost lost against texas but that was early early season when right these guys don't have a preseason they don't really have a time to get work the kinks out and so once those kinks are work, worked out which i think they kind of they pretty much are now since they beat since alabama beat arkansas in arkansas so handily and arkansas is you know a, a top i think they were a top 15 top 20 team we saw that they can do it without their star their star quarterback which is uh which is a, a very a very tall task and right georgia on the other hand they're still a good team i think that beating or almost losing to missouri is probably one of the worst close wins that you could have because missouri has not been anything in the sec basically ever but um but yeah i mean it's just one of those fluke games i wouldn't be that worried about georgia but i i do think this is more of a statement on how alabama is just going to handle everybody for the rest of the season even if it's georgia i don't really see georgia making it that close of a game if, you know in the sec championship or in the college football championship game if that's that's one of the matchups so that's my take on it i i, I tend to agree and we even said this before the season right this was kind of our whole college football thing was unfortunately the way the sport is right now there's not enough parity for there to be too much competition outside of the big three which is alabama ohio state and georgia the real fun of the sport comes in the smaller matchups in the in the pac-12 in the big 12 where school guys are kind of trying just as hard there's a lot of coaching drama there's you know there's things that are going crazy with like nebraska is a perfect example who've already fired their coach after he was supposed to be the prodigal son returning to the school after being his alma mater and, and everything going like that Oklahoma has now lost two straight which I I will again I am the first one to admit when I say when I get something wrong we and we as a podcast are wrong about Oklahoma we thought you know whatever they lost to Kansas State Kansas State always has their number they're going to be fine don't worry about Oklahoma they can still win the Big 12 they're probably still going to win the Big 12 they can still make the college football playoff even no, <laughs> they got embarrassed to TCU. Now, TCU, I think, might be the real deal. And so Oklahoma might win their you know, rest of their games from here on out. If they do, fine, good for them. But something's wrong with Oklahoma. So anyway, besides that, though, that and that's a perfect example, a complete storyline that we're just, you know, so you kind of got to look past a little bit sometimes who's going to win the championship because that can get a little bit boring and, and make the sport not really what it is. Now, I think in the future, especially with a, you know, the in works of a 12-team college football playoff, all that stuff is going to be opened up. And so we're going to not be kind of so condensed down to this three, these three schools who are only have the chance to win the championship of those. Obviously Alabama looks like the leading contender right now. And I think we were kind of waiting for Georgia to slip up a little bit. We saw them struggle a little bit with Kent state, Kent state. I mean, come on, Kent state uh, two weeks ago, they let up, I think 22 points and they only won the game, only won the game by 17 points, but still, I think they were like 40 something point favorites. What will be interesting is this week, I think. After we have this kind of, you know, week where Georgia doesn't look the, look the best and Alabama proves that they are the best, this coming week, Alabama plays Texas A&M. They're 24-point favorites. The question really becomes, is Bryce Young going to play? If he got really, really hurt, I don't even think they should let him play because they're going to beat Texas A&M. They're 24-point favorites. Even without Bryce Young, they're probably, what, 14-point favorites? Right, The backup for, for Alabama was running all over the field. He's going to do that again against Texas A&M. Regardless of whether or not Bryce Young plays, Texas or Alabama is going to beat Texas A&M. And also, because, mostly because, they lost to Texas A&M last year, and that was their only regular season loss. They're going to come back with a vengeance this year, and they're going to beat Texas A&M. George, on the other hand, plays Auburn. 
Okay. And you're thinking, oh, wow, Georgia Auburn. That's a really good game. Well, Auburn is actually horrible this year, in case you didn't know. And they're actually, Georgia is 30 point favorites against Auburn, bigger favorites than they were against Missouri last year, or sorry, last week. Now, the reason is obviously they were playing at Missouri. They're playing at home against Auburn this week. But I mean, still, that's a, that's a lot of amount of, that's a big amount of credit that's given back, given to Georgia based on not too much that we've seen bad, you know, super bad from them, uh, you know, in, in the past couple of weeks. So, that's, I mean, I think kind of, I agree with what Hayden was, Hayden was saying along those lines, but I think we don't want to forget too much about Ohio state. I really do. I really do think the downfall of their season last year was losing at Michigan in a snowy game when they couldn't play their best football this year, they're even better. And they're going to be not playing that game in snowy football. Well, they might be, but they probably won't be. And if they won't be they're Ohio State's going undefeated, and I think, and because the you know the college football playoff games are all played indoors, that's the best case scenario for Ohio State, right? They have a real chance to actually upset the apple cart here and basically just say, okay, everybody's anointing Georgia, Georgia and Alabama as the best teams in college football. Let us have our shot, right? Their defense might not be as good, but their offense is sure going to be best, the way better than anything that Georgia or Alabama's defense has seen the entire season. So I think we should not super, not, not count out Ohio state yet uh, because I think they still, they still do have some work to do. So now let's move on to the second college football topic here. And uh, it's about Pitt and well about Pitt and some, 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 some transfer portal stuff that's in here as well. Well, Pitt, obviously they lost to Georgia Tech this past week. Um, Georgia Tech is is actually one of the worst teams in college football. So this is like one of the very most surprising results of the entire season so far, especially considering also that I think I think Pitt was like 24 point favorites. So they lost to Georgia Tech, though, 26 to 21. The offense looked absolutely horrible the entire game. Hayden actually has some stats to back up how how bad this really looked for them. Uh, so go ahead, Hayden. Yeah. So coming into this game, the the pit, I mean, the pit offense wasn't really the highlight of their team that we've talked about their, their defense, the pit defense who has made very big plays in the past. Uh, you know, one was against West Virginia in, in week one where they got that pick six that basically sealed the game and, and stopped West Virginia's comeback from happening. West Virginia is also a team that's faced some pretty tough, tough losses as of late. Um, but I think they'll, they'll be probably pretty fine. But if you're wondering about the, the stats that I'm talking about. Pay, uh, Keaton Slovis is the, the quarterback that transferred from USC. He, he played at USC last year, and, and he transferred to Pitt this year. And that's essentially because Lincoln Riley brought Caleb Williams to play at, U, at USC. He saw that and said, okay, I'm not going to play at USC as Kate, uh, Caleb Williams is coming with Lincoln Riley. So let me transfer to Pitt. It was a pretty good decision. Again, Pitt not a very good offense. So he, I, he was probably looking to be kind of the the star guy in this offense, which he was projected to, to be that guy. And he, and through the first couple of weeks, he, he, he was, I mean, he wasn't the best, but he also wasn't the worst quarterback in the world. His stat line for the night ended up, did end up being 26 for 45 of passing, which is, yeah, it's like, I mean, passing 45 times in a college game is actually kind of a lot. And he passed for 309 yards and three touchdowns in, in, in that game. And he, he only had one interception, but that final stat line is very, very misleading. Let me tell you, because he's, I think in his last two drives, he had 153 of those 309 yards and a touchdown. And also in his interception in, in those final two drives. So literally like the first, basically three and a half quarters 
of the game, he really only had 150 yards and a touchdown. And, and he was, you know, he was very like, he, he only passed the ball 15 times in those first three and a half quarters, which it didn't really give him much of a, much of a chance to make anything of his throws. But again, I mean, he completed 16 of his 26 passes on the last two drives of the game. That is more than half of his completions. He, he got on his, on the last two drives of the game. And that's how they made that. That's how they, they ended up making it a close game against Georgia Tech. I think at one at one point, this Georgia Tech team was winning like twenty. I don't know. I, I want to say it's like twenty one to nine or something like that. That Georgia or no, it couldn't have been twenty one because they won 21. It, it was it was they were winning by like fifteen points at one point. I think, and then the pit offense came back and and made it a, a pretty close game. But again, Keaton Slovis, this guy who's who's who was supposed to come to pit and be just like this really accurate guy who's going to manage the offense well and, and be a, a, a star on that offense, or at least a guy who's going to, who's going to help that offense a lot on against a Georgia tech team. That is one of the worst in division one football. Like Matt said, he did not look good at all. And I, so I think that this is like, you know, if, if this is a fluke, it's the flukiest of flukes because a guy like Slovis who, who played at USC, a, a pretty big time school last year, he comes to pit and he's, and he's doing this kind of thing in, in the ACC, which should be a pretty, you know, pretty easy cakewalk for pit because they are one of the better teams in the ACC. When he's doing this kind of stuff, you look at that and you say, okay, well, that's, that, that's a little bit questionable. And I mean, they have really, they really have no choice, but to kind of just keep on going with it. But this makes me question pits, you know, pits rest of the year from, from here on out. And so, um, so I, I, I don't know, I guess I kind of, I kind of covered, a lot of it there, but Matt, do you have any thoughts about Pitt from here on out for the rest of the season and, and, and how you'll think they'll do in ACC play after this loss to Georgia tech early on in the season? I think they will be okay. I think this was probably just a spot where they're going up against the Georgia tech team who I mentioned was one of the worst in the country. They're actually, <laughs> it's funny because I bet the college football win totals on only on some teams because you know, preseason, because I, I really have a, a very good inkling for how I think their season will go. Georgia Tech under three and a half wins for the college football season is one of the best bets that I made uh, prior to the season, because I literally saw them winning against nobody. Um, and I think I'm still safe on that bet, because the only chance I had was they played an FCS team and beat them. Obviously, that was going to happen. The only other chance they had at a win was against Duke, which is actually this com- upcoming in, two, I think, two weeks or so. And so no, actually, it's, it's this coming week. Sorry, I'm like thinking about Kansas and, and Duke and TCU and all these games that are happening all at the same time. Duke was probably going to win because Duke looks way better than I even thought they would. And so if Duke beats Georgia Tech, we're good to go on that bet, by the way, just just so that you were understanding of, of my situation on that uh, on that exposure. So anyway, I think Pitt is going to be OK. I don't think they are going to win the ACC Coastal because I do think that you're going to have some sort of but, well, I actually do think they could possibly win it because it's basically either going to be them or UNC. UNC looks good-ish now. I can't even really say because it's basically every game they play is an absolute shootout. They let up the most points in college football right now, but they also score. I think I think they score the most points as well. So it's like an absolute, you have no idea what's going to go on with this UNC team. And I think, I think that I don't remember exactly when they play because UNC plays Miami this week, which will also be a, a, a battle. That, it'll be a barn burner, basically like a 60 to 60 game uh, coming up there. So if Pitt can beat UNC, I think Pitt I actually might play for the ACC championship, which is the craziest part to say after all of what Hayden said. 
this just actually shows how bad the ACC is too. But, you know, we've talked about that in past episodes as well. Um, it is interesting to note though, Hayden kind of, you know, talking about more about Keaton Slovis and kind of the transfer portal and everything going on there. Keaton Slovis played at, U- at UC- USC last year, as he mentioned. Um, he took over, however, for Jackson Dart, a kid who now plays for Ole Miss. Um and and played pretty well, but again, USC went five and seven last year. Obviously, they're revamping everything now that Lincoln Riley's there and Caleb Williams transferred there, and he looks amazing. But Jackson Dart looks really good at Ole Miss, and Keaton Slovis isn't looking too good at Pitt. And so you're thinking, well, what's the what's the reasoning here? And I think I found the solution. It's because Pitt at for for whatever reason. The Pitt coach or the head coach for, for Pittsburgh University, a guy named Pat Narduzzi, okay? Pat Narduzzi is known for kind of making bad coaching decisions and not really being there in the games that really matter when it comes down to it. Because Pitt, Pitt always has a good program, but they're never like, you know, competing for ACC championships and really on the, on the break of winning one. Well, guess what they did last year? That's right. They won the ACC championship because they had um, – Kenny Pickett. They had Mark Whipple, who was their offensive coordinator, who is now with Nebraska. Okay. So a lot of things, a lot of things changing for Pitt who, and and I think kind of the funny thing to hear is, is in the conclusion that I'm going to draw is that the external factors, right? So a quarterback in Kenny Pickett, who was a, you know, a four-year starter and played forever and is really, you know, has every record that imaginable in terms of passing at Pitt as well as an offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, who's been a head coach before and also a really good offensive coordinator who, you know, played really well or coached and played really well with Kenny Pickett. So they had a really good relationship with each other played amazingly last year. And now that he lost Mark Whipple and now that he lost Kenny Pickett, you see what kind of the reason, what the results are And Keaton Slovis, a kid who played really well for USC last year, isn't looking so good for Pitt this year. And so I think that's really where Pitt is getting caught up is almost their head coach is kind of, kind of just driving them into the dust um and and he's been doing that ever since he's been there right so that's kind of the 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 ironic ironic part about this is that he's a good coach but he's never able to really take them over the hump and the one year that they were able to be taken over the hump it was because they had a generational quarterback and they had a really amazing offensive coordinator who really gelled well and made this team go after that we see where the result is obviously there's going to be some uh, regression because you're losing your star quarterback and a really good offensive coordinator but i think that still the coaching mishaps are what's causing this team some trouble and we saw that in the georgia tech game so unfortunately for Pitt, it's one of those situations where they could be really good and we saw them win an act championship last year i think they went 12 and two was their overall record i mean that's almost as good as an nfl football team right if you look at you know amount of wins and losses and everything but then we see this year, it, it definitely is looking a lot worse. And they still have a chance to be really good in the ACC because the ACC is really bad, right? Um, but I think that because of how much they lost, yes, it's, there's going to be an automatic regression. But e- even more baked into that is the fact that these types of games, this game against Georgia Tech is a game that last year with Mark Weppel as the offensive coordinator and them throwing a lot with Kenny Pickett, that doesn't happen. But this year, given that you do have a good quarterback in Keaton Slovis, they're not throwing it enough. They're, their offense is not explosive enough to even beat Georgia Tech, who's one of the worst teams in college football. Give me a break, man. So I think that as much as Pat Narduzzi has done for this Pitt program, he 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 also brings them down in games that they just should not be losing, uh, which is obviously proven here uh, in, in the Georgia Tech case. So that's my outlook on Pitt. I think that, you know, they're, they're really being let down by the coaching staff there, particularly Pat Narduzzi, their head coach. But at the same time, they're always in it because the ACC is always going to let them be in it because of how bad the ACC is this year. Yeah, and I, I really do want to see Pitt do something this year. I'm actually going to be there for the game. I'm 
obviously I go to all the UVA home games and we play Pitt at home this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get to watch Keaton Slovis play in person, which is going to be pretty cool. It would have been even cooler to see Kenny Pickett play last year, but we had, unfortunately we had our, our game against Pitt away last year. So I couldn't see, couldn't see Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett play, but nonetheless, that will be a, a cool game to go to this year. UVA versus Pitt. Now, before we end the episode, it's time for Matt's betting lock of the week. That is right. We went one and one last week. Okay. It, it was the, it was the Arkansas debacle that Hayden talked about. I had him plus 17 and it, literally, I mean, Bryce, Bryce Young gets hurt and I'm not rooting for injuries, but I was, I was perking up at the sight of Bryce Young getting hurt because I was thinking, Hey, we might win this bet. Uh, but no, we got slapped in the face by Nick Saban. Why am I betting against Alabama? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't, I, I said it in the last podcast. I said it's a very scary undertaking and I meant it when I said it. And that's the reason why. So Alabama, like I said, Jameer Gibbs has two, well, Hayden said, two 70-plus yard rushing touchdowns in the last six minutes of the game. Are you absolutely kidding me? Whatever. We move on. We go back. However, Titans plus four, plus three and a half was the line at the game time. Whether Whatever you got it at, they won the game outright. I knew they were going to. That's why I bet on them. So we're one and one, okay? We're, we're, we're starting the season even on, and we got two more here to back it up. We have another very scary bet in the NFL this week. We're going to do the college one first, and I'm going to go Utah minus three and a half against UCLA. Utah and UCLA are two undefeated teams in the Pac-12, and so you're thinking, why the heck are you betting on two undefeated, or well, betting in a game between two undefeated teams, especially with you, what with what UCLA did against Washington in their Friday night game last week. DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson is their quarterback's name. He played like the Heisman Trophy winner last week against Washington. But I think Washington was in for it. They had started off the season really hot in UCLA. UCLA is a good team. Okay, they're a very good team. They could very easily win the Pac-12 this year. They're going to be smelling themselves after that victory against Washington last week. And they're going to come into this game thinking they're all hot stuff. They're playing at home against Utah. Eh, Utah's whatever. That's fine. The last four combined victories for Utah against UCLA, UCLA in this series was I forget the, the exact score of the first one. I think it was like 35, 28 or something like that. Then it was 49 to three, 48 to 10 and 48 to 17 last year. Those are results that we don't see typically from a rivalry like this, but you can't call it a rivalry rivalry because UCLA is not used is not UCLA is not ready for Utah's physicality because they bring the heart when they play in UCLA. So give me UCLA or Utah minus three and a half against UCLA. It's a little bit of a little bit of a contrarian pick. We're going to get that done. The NFL bet this week is getting it's gross. Okay, it's the biggest number on the card. It's Pittsburgh. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers getting 14 points from the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Why am I betting this game? I'll tell you exactly why. Buffalo lost, okay, to Miami 21 to 19 two weeks ago. A horrible loss. They're in the heat, 95 degrees. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. A horrible game. Very unlucky. They didn't get set up for a field goal. Okay, fine. So you go into your next game, you play the Baltimore Ravens. As we discussed for about 20 minutes here on the podcast, it was a rainy game. It was a sloppy game. They come out with a victory. Josh Allen leads them down the field and they score the touchdown or they, they score the field goal to win the game. Now they're going back to Buffalo. Hey guys, sunshine and rainbows. We're back home. Great. We were, you know, we lost the game to Miami. That was a tough game. Hey, we go we went on the road and beat Baltimore. Baltimore. Well, you come back home and you are absolutely feeling chilling in your boots, especially because you're paying, you're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers who look like one of the worst teams in the league right now. 
Give me 14 points and I will take the Pittsburgh Steelers all day. Mike Tomlin is a good coach. He knows how to get things done. So he will not be able to lose by 14 points to the Bills who have blown out their opponents. But I think based on everything that's happened recently with their team, they're you know losing games they shouldn't lose. They're winning games they shouldn't win. Everything is going right for this Bills team. They're coming back home. They're going to be sloppy. They're going to be slow. And the Steelers only need to lose by like 13 points or less, right? Because that's the way that the betting works. So they could get absolutely blown blown out in this game. They could be losing by 20 points. And if they get a touchdown with two minutes left, who cares? You lose the game by 13, 13 points, the bet still wins. So give me those two as my betting locks of the week. I'm taking Utah minus three and a half against UCLA. And then I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers as scary as it is, getting 14 points from the Buffalo Bills. I'll see you on Monday when both of those are cashed. Alrighty. Well, that was a, uh... There you go. That's that. That's some pretty good analysis there by Matt. I, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of I kind of zoned out for most of it, but I heard Utah and something about the NFL. So there you go. That's gonna end off the episode for today. Thank you guys for listening. Again, as as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this will be the only episode published this week. So enjoy it while it lasts for another little less than a week, and we will see you guys early on next week for a recap slash general podcast episode where we discuss hot topics in in both college and nfl football next week uh and yes we will hopefully have two episodes out next week and get back to our regular grind so with that being said thank you guys for listening hope you guys enjoyed it and we will catch you then